Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church that's located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're a local, come hang out with us one Sunday. Our Sunday service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary 316 Com. Regardless of where you're listening, I do hope you stay with me over the next hour as we seek to de- deconstruct the negative perception that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing things that are relevant to our culture, relevant topics, in an honest, genuine, and biblical way. Um, in regards to setting up the show, a few things I want to get out of the way right here at the beginning. Uh, it's very important to us to hear from you, the listening audience. There are several ways that you can connect uh, our email address is info at outlawradio.org, info at outlawradio.org. Also, if you're on Facebook, like one of the several billion people on this planet, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash outlaw. Like us there, leave a review. Uh, we also are, are on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at radio underscore outlaw. And so if you have any questions about something that's said on this show, uh, if you want to challenge an opinion you don't like, If you want to submit topics for me to address in future episodes, literally nothing is off limits, please, please, please reach out to us. I should also add, uh, our website is outlawradio.org. Again, outlawradio.org. And the reason I emphasize the website is that there are quick links. So in the top right-hand corner, you'll see podcast, and then there's two links for iTunes as well as Google Play. Every episode of the Outlaw Radio Show is podcasted, and podcasting is fantastic. Because instead of going and looking, searching for new episodes of the Outlaw Radio Show, when we post them, they come to you automatically if you're a subscriber. And so the way that works is you would go to iTunes, click the link, it'll send you right there, or just go to iTunes, the store, search for Zach Adams. If you subscribe to the Outlaw Radio podcast, then every time we post new content, You don't have to go look for it. It comes to you. So you'll get a notification on your phone or your tablet saying that a new episode is there. It's ready. Uh, Very cool stuff. So again, the website is outlawradio.org. Easiest place to find the podcast. And you can listen to this episode in its entirety or all future or previous uh, episodes. We have a treat today. Today is going to be one of those days where instead of a monologue, we've got an interview. And so setting the stage... Here we go. You ready? Let's do it. I'd like to welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show an, a dear friend, but kind of an old friend of mine, Simon Woodstock. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, Zach. I appreciate it. Before we get into kind of the subject matter of, of why I'm having you on the show, uh, it's been years since you and I have chatted, and there's something that you probably don't know that I want to tell you really quick. You got a second? Yeah, you got it. So... It was 2001. I had moved 2,800 miles from Georgia to Southern California to go to Bible college. Um, I was about a month into my first semester. And when you're in Bible college, you're really immersed uh, in the Word. No matter how faithful you were at a devotional life, Bible college is totally different. You were talking eight hours a day. From, from early morning to late afternoon, you were just immersed in Scripture and studying God's Word. And I found myself about a month into it just kind of souring a little bit on life and souring on existence. And I'll never forget, I, I, I don't know what it was about my face, but I was, I was sitting 
uh, in the shade under an awning and uh, just really like bummed out because here I was in Bible college. I had these lofty expectations um, of, of what this would do to my life and my walk with the Lord. And I felt like within a month I had taken like three colossal steps backwards and you must have seen it. And I don't know if you remember this at all, but you must have seen my face and you had been in Bible college for uh, a good year and a half or so. Um, and so I think you had seen that look before and you came over, asked me what was going on. I told you, and you made, you made a statement. You told me something that changed my life and changed the direction of my life. You told me, Zach, um, you're in an environment where you are being fed um, exponentially. So you have just tons of stuff coming in, coming into your heart, coming into your mind, spiritual truths, the bread of life, just filling you. Um, but then you asked, are you going to church anywhere? And I was like, no, man, I don't have a car, so it's really hard to get to church. And then you were like, well, are you serving any anyway? And I was like, well, we've got these 1099 things we got to do where, you know, I'm obligated to serve. And you're like, no, 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 not that, but like a genuine outlet because you've got so much coming in. If you don't have anything coming out, you get constipated. And, uh, and I laughed, but that truth, man, has rung, um, man, it, it made an impact. Then it's anytime I find myself in that moment where I'm just kind of feeling sour, I often take an evaluation and it's, it's always an indication um, that I'm, I'm, I'm not, there's not a good inflow and outflow, so to speak. And so, man, just before we even get to anything, I just want to say thank you. I haven't had the opportunity to tell you that. Do you remember that at all? I don't remember the particular instance, but I do know the face, like sort of the glazed over face and you can kind of read it, you know, and, uh, no, thank you for that. And, and just praise God. Cause I was, I was putting on a good front back in those days. I had a lot going on in my- <laughs> you know, but no, and so that's totally a God thing, and it's true. You, you know, there's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee has water flowing in and out, and there's a lot of life. And the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. Things just run into it and don't run out, and that's why you have the difference. One has life, and one is dead. So, Amen, Amen. Well, listen, let's get to the topic at hand. I want to start. Uh, so I, I watched, uh, the way you and I kind of reconnected here is, is out of the blue, you popped up on my Facebook feed, and um, and then like the next day, there was a documentary that you posted out that some guy did, uh, won awards for, um, about a little bit about your life, some of your background, but some things that you're doing presently. So before we get to that, I want to try to reel things all the way back to the beginning, because most of my audience... Uh, has no idea who Simon Woodstock is. Uh, that being said, if you Google his name, you'll you'll find some information. So, can you kind of just start us like all the way back to the beginning, your family life, how you got into skateboarding, and uh, just kind of the trajectory that your life took as a result? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll give you kind of summarization of that. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a, a city called Campbell, California. Uh, that in the late seventies was just somehow, I don't know why, was in the center of this like sort of first wave of skate parks that were booming at the time. Um, I don't know how the trend started or whatever. I think some were being built in Southern California. Campbell is up near San Jose. But I stress Campbell because it's this small city. It's not big. And it had two skate parks. And one of them was like the major skate park of Northern California called Winchester Skate Park. And it was literally like no joke a teenager could throw a stone from my front yard 
and hit the parking lot. You just, you just have to throw a stone over a seven <laughs> eleven that actually even had like a hole in the fence where you can just cut right through. <laughs> and, and they had like a, it was, a, it was this amazing skate park. You can look it up online. Um, and you know, I, I was young. What was that? 77, 78 when it was built. So I was seven or eight years old. And, uh, they had an arcade and stuff. So I would just hang out at this place. And it, so that's when it started, uh, kind of rubbing off on me. Did you grow up in a Christian, a Christian family at all? Or did you go to church? I have still, and <laughs> they were there back then, great parents who know the triune God and they believe in Jesus. And they, at varying levels, coming from one or the other of them, did hold to moral standards. But as far as being regular churchgoers, no. So I wasn't exposed to it. Other than, you know, I would do something bad and my parents would be like, don't do that. (laughs) Right. Understood. There was a little more going on besides because I said not to do it, you know. Um, So that was it. Nominal. Christian kind of thing, I guess you can say. So you were seven, eight years old. There was a skate park across the street, and uh, you were hanging out in that that environment. Take it from there. Yeah, and it was great. It was a great era of skateboarding, and I, I was young. Skateboarders back then were typically older. Teenagers would start getting good, but I would cruise around. My dad made sure I had a decent board, and um, I would cruise around. I was just kind of a little local kid. And then the the skate park, it just kind of closed. It was there for maybe like four years. And what had happened was the the property values of the places where the skate parks were at started to kind of be worth more than what the skate parks were bringing in, you know, charging people five bucks a day to skate or whatever. So there was a wave. (laughs) There was a, as the tide came in, you know, for four years and it went out and skate parks started just dropping left and right. So they, uh, demolished it. I, I wasn't like super emotional about it. I think I didn't even go to like the last day they had an event, you know? Um, but a lot of people were tore up cause it was like this pretty happening place. And then things just kind of went into this street. You know, we, we all started street skating. The skate park was gone. <laughs> so, you know, what, what are you going to do? So I, I would ride my board like to school and stuff, you know, like in sixth grade. Fast forward a little bit. And uh, in junior high, we would go behind this, like, the the auditorium, and then we would skate behind behind the school. I think I think the authorities knew we were doing it, but it was sort of a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Like, we, we would hang yeah. out and skate back there. We weren't doing anything shady. We were just we were just skateboarding and hanging around with our boards and. Yeah, just kind of kept going from that skate park era up, up until high school. The, the high school I went to, the leadership there kind of had a beef with us. But then also, too, that's when the skater crowd sort of merged with the pot smoking crowd and stuff, you know. So double trouble kind of thing. And uh, to, to Mr. Zelina, the principal of Westmont High School, like, wouldn't let us skate out in the parking lot, which was a drag because it had some pretty sick curbs. Um but yeah, that's, that's, I don't know, I guess that's kind of it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. That's a, like a long story. So you got, but I mean, you, you ended up, so there was a scene, this was early years of skateboarding. Um, good grief, I'd probably say that no one in Georgia knew about skateboarding. 
uh, at that point, and yet you found yourself kind of right in the middle of of a scene and a crowd. I mean, you at one point were were pretty well known. Is that correct? I was infamous. You're infamous. Okay, you've got to you've got to add some context to that. I, I had attained. If you fast forward all the way to like 1989, I, I was just infamous. Um, like kind of PG 13 rated infamous. Like just back off from that, and then yeah, I just I I basically had attained kind of infamy as being sort of this notorious character. Yeah. So this is during the the season where you have Tony Hawk, you have. Um, uh, skating, kind of going from subculture to pop culture. Uh, what what made um, I, in the documentary you talk about how you weren't really that good at skateboarding? You didn't think, but you you were colorful and drew a crowd. Again, for the audience that doesn't know anything about about you, because I and let me let me parse this one way. I think the power of your story, and particularly the penny suit, which we'll get to, um, is the context of kind of. Uh, this trajectory of your life where it started in one place, it went to another place and now it's kind of come full circle with redemption. Um, to get that arc, you have to kind of take some time to talk about the early years. You weren't a believer. You weren't walking with the Lord. Um, and you were for the most part, like kind of a, a party animal in the midst of this skating scene. Correct. Which was almost synonymous back then too. So <laughs> that, that was kind of what was going on. Any, there were like these sobriety guys and maybe like a handful of Christians, but they were just like really doing their own thing, but maybe sort of to some respect looked down upon. So yeah, I was like, yeah, I was, I was with that. I would hang around with these guys called the Hellride crew. Some of them are still alive. <laughs> uh, and, and just these other dudes. Yeah. And it was, uh, it, it was pretty, pretty wild. I mean, you know, whatever you look back, there, there was a lot of good things going on, but yeah, unfortunately, um, with a lot of cultures, there's just, there is, yeah, the, there's the party culture or the drug culture. And, um, yeah, I just, unfortunately allowed myself just to kind of give into that. What was the high point of your, you know, I, I don't know if you would refer to it as a professional skating career or semi-professional. Um, what was kind of the, the, the high point? Uh, I, let me, I, maybe, let me add a, a different angle, a different twist to the question. You mentioned that you were. You were infamous. Um, can you kind of give an example um, of what you mean by that? Yeah, okay. So let me give you like a low point because <laughs> that's like easier. So right. like I, I just got to the point, man, where I was just short-tempered and totally like – so I was pro, man, and I was getting paid a lot of money is what's going on. And I, my sponsor was Van's Shoes, and um, I, I had just be, be, become just in, insufferable. Like I was just I had all this opportunity, right? And I had all these blessings, right? But I, you just couldn't deal with me, right? So I'm at Vans. I'm at the headquarters, right? And I say something, and um, this guy Everett Rosecrans threatens, rightfully so, justifiably so, threatens to take me out in the parking lot and kick my butt. Now Everett Rosecrans. Now, you know the movie, like, um, Happy Gilmore? Remember when he got in a fight, Happy Gilmore got in a fight with Bob Barker, and Bob Barker, like, kicked his butt? <laughs> that was, it's like, the action scene. sports equivalency of what was going on. Like, I was the idiot, like, Happy Gilmore, and I was being such an idiot that Everett Rosecrans, like, seriously, who was, like, 
15 or 20 years older than me and like this respected guy <laughs> was like going to take me out in the parking lot and kick my butt. And, and he was like super serious and I was getting kind of nervous. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff was like going on. So, so yeah, it's probably better with where we're going with the discussion to just throw out that. Now Ev's awesome. Like we've shaken hands since and it's all good, you know, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so I essentially had Bob Bark, the Bob Barker of skateboarding, like wanting to, to whoop my tail because I was just being such a kook, you know? Now you were known, um, for your costumes. You were a very colorful character in that particular scene. What kind of costumes would you do? Um, yeah, I did, uh, uh, we get like clown suits, you know, this is pre Amazon days, you know, so I would have to go shopping around, I would go to costume stores and get like clown suits or I think I did monkey suits back then. I'd make things too. I would like sew leaves to clothing and, and then, yeah. And then I did the, the penny suit, which the movie came about like later. Describe the penny suit. So this was back in your professional skateboarding days. What, what was the penny suit? Yeah, I just, it pretty simple, man. I just took like uh, some jeans and this uh, NC board shop corduroy jacket and took Shugu, which is like a shoe repair kind of silicone product. And there was a bunch of pennies all over my room. Like I was just disorganized and, and I just had all this money all over my carpet. And I was just kind of bored. And, and, and so I'd already, I think, done things like that but I just started gluing the, the pennies under the suit. And I was like, Oh, you know what? This will probably look pretty cool. And so I just kept gluing pennies and buying Shigu and then just covered the, the jeans and the the jacket with the pennies, which, which made it look like a suit. So I didn't cover like an actual, like a suit suit, but you know, it had sort of like a collar on it. Oh, and then I made a tie, I think to go with it, which sort of made it like suity. <laughs> if that's a word. Um, yeah. And then, and <laughs> so I just put that thing on it. And, uh, you know, it's like if you could uh, if you could somehow wear like a 64 Impala, like, you know, like like people crowd around things. Right. Right. Like you go to a car show and there's like a really nice decked out like 57 Chevy or something like that. It, it was sort of like the, a fashion equivalent to that. I could go out and people are like, what? Like they want to take photos. Right. Um, immediately. And so it. It drew a lot of attention. I was 8 right. billion miles away from the Lord, right. so I'm like, yeah, soaking it up, you know? <laughs> so it drew a lot of attention and, and kind of became a thing. You, you got associated with yeah, it. Yeah, well, t- bro, like back then, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm, I was 8 billion miles away from the Lord as far as faith went, you know? And I'm just trying to get as much access, you know, to whatever. So, yeah, man, I just start wearing it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's fast forward. So you kind of hit this this low point where, like you said, you're just angry and you had all this success, all this stuff at your fingertips. The, the sky was the limit as far as your professional career goes, but you were miserable inside, angry. Um, can you kind of uh, walk us through how you get from there to your knees before the Lord? Like, like what happened? Oh, so you're talking about when I was completely insane and almost had no like cognitive ability to ascertain anything that was going on in the real world. And I thought that Andy Kaufman, the the dead comedian that was the star of Taxi, was speaking to me through the television set. Are you talking about that time in my life? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, that would be a good place to start. So how do we get from there to the guy that I met in Bible college? Uh, yeah, it just uh, that's where I was at, man. I was really at that point going to hell in a handbasket. And it, real long story short, like, like I was just out doing some event with like MTV or something. And thinking, you know, okay, you know, maybe this is going to 
make me feel better and a little more access, a little more status or something. And it, and it wasn't, man. I was just, I had, I was completely beside myself, had nothing but anxiety morning, noon and night. And, uh, just had a moment of clarity. It was like tap out now or I'm done. Like my future is not bright. (laughs) And I, I did. I just, I flew home from New York and two months later was like at Calvary Chapel, San Jose, living in their dorms, like working in their coffee shop and just, it was difficult, man. A difficult time. <laughs> so you did not grow up in, um, in, in a church environment. Uh, you knew, generally speaking, about Jesus. So, I mean, how do you get from, you know, you're doing this MTV gig, you're in New York, and you're like, I'm just, just over this. I get on a flight, I go home, to then you, two months later, are at Calvary Chapel, San Jose, working in a coffee shop. Like, what? when was the moment, like, how did you get to church? Who did you talk to? Like, how did you come to know Jesus? Yeah, no, thanks. So uh, along that, like, so there were some parallel tracks kind of going on. So I had this, like, existential experience with God when I was, like, seven years old, where, where I just realized through kind of conscience, like, wow, there's something out there, right? Beyond the ceiling. He swept it under the rug, started getting into trouble, like, that year, right? Like rating my parents like liquor cabinet or whatever. And then, then, then began the process. My parents sent me to YMCA camp every summer back when it was actually a young men's Christian association. (laughs) And they used to wear these rags and they around your neck, kind of like a, like a boy scout kind of scarf. And they had, you know, a cross on there and stuff. And these guys are like sharing the gospel with people around the campfire. And I, I didn't quite get what they were saying. Um, there, there is a denomination on one side of my family, the Seventh Day Adventists, right? Order up a hot fudge Saturday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Babylon B. Most yeah, right on. Source and news, right? Yeah. So, Amen. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and as crazy as that was, and as much trouble as I got, I, I went to an SDA boarding school. There was a guy there, like an intern guy, that was cool, and he was reaching out to his kids and sharing the gospel, you know. So, and I'm, I think my grandma was praying for me. Uh, there were people praying for me, people handing me tracks. Um, I had an interaction. So I, um, I met the McClure family because that's Cal- that was Calvary, or it still is, but Pastor Don was there for years. So I met Pastor Don like in 1992. Um, I made kind of a false conversion and got baptized and hung out there for like a week. And then this was in 92. And then, then I left and my life got even crazier. But I remembered that church, you know, and I remember yeah. like Pastor Don yeah. and his family being cool and just people around there, like just being genuinely nice. So when everything, you know, hit the fan, that that building is still there, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and so, I, so I went there. What? Yeah. At the beginning of 2000 and just talked to Pastor Don. Um, Rob McCoy was there and all these other like then sort of starting five uh players, you know, like, like uh, Dave Johnson, Matt Valencia, like, like all these guys that are still Calvary yeah. pastors. Um, they moved me into the dorms and just poured into me and reached out to me. And they immediately started bringing up Bible college. Like, yeah, you should consider Bible college. And then that's fast forward another year and a half or whatever. That's when I met you. I was down at CCBC, Marietta, all four semesters starting fall 2000. What was the, you would say, the the hardest 
point of that transition? Because you went from access, fame, some money, um, to I'm living with a bunch of other guys. Um, I don't have any money. Um, like, like that had to have been a very, like, even, even with the understanding, I need to do this. Um, this is important. Um, I need to get right with my maker. Um, that still had to have been a big transition. So what was the the most difficult part of the transition, but also then I would, I would couch it with the most rewarding part. And then we'll pick up things with Bible college when we come back from the break. So what are your thoughts? The best way I can come at this is, is probably looking back. The only thing I wished would have panned out differently, or, or, or maybe a few things I wish would have panned out differently is that, instead of going straight to Bible college, that I at least would have gone to U-turn. Even though I wasn't, I, I had kind of sobered up sort of through AA, um, I wasn't living a moral lifestyle at all. So it, it, it was like, it was almost like when a soldier comes back from war and then doesn't receive that proper debriefing and counseling and then just goes back into the population. Like it, I, I kind of missed that step. I, I wish I would have gone to U-turn. I wished um, I could have gotten put with like an addiction recovery, a Christian addiction recovery counselor specialist, you know, yeah. that not only knew the Bible, which is obviously the most important starting point, but also understood you know, the tweaking of the biochemicals and stuff that can happen through uh you know, 10 years or more, 15 years of serious addiction. So I wish I would have had that step first. And then also too, <laughs> I kind of wish that um, leaders would have been a little more hesitant in so far as giving me uh, Christian public platforms to speak. Um, they kind of had an imbalance, I think in their mind thinking, that the evangelistic, the potential evangelistic draw would have outweighed any kind of heresy I could have taught, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and I, I seriously did not know what I was saying. Praise God, I memorized like five minutes of a Charles Stanley sermon. And I, I, I didn't even know what he was saying, <laughs> but that's just one thing. I went on this like speaking tour. I really didn't know what to say. So I, I had a Charles Stanley tape and I, I memorized like five minutes of his sermon. So, so I would just talk for a minute, and then then I would just repeat what Charles Stanley had said on the tape. That that that's how, and I guess God maybe used that or whatever. But that that's yeah. sort of how semi disastrous that whole time was. So I wish I would have got sent to like a or been able to go to a decent rehab, and then probably could have held off for three, five, or ten years before I started just speaking to people on behalf. Absolutely. Of Absolutely. Well, listen, there's so much There's so much more to your story. Uh, if you're listening, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Uh, Simon Woodstock here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, this is Josh. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Today, Pastor Zach is interviewing Simon Woodstock. Simon attended Calvary Chapel Bible College around the same time Pastor Zach did. He came from an amazing background, a true testimony of conversion. Don't go anywhere. Come back in a moment for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show.
Here's Zach Adams and special guest Simon Woodstock, second half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined by an old friend of mine. His name is Simon Woodstock, and he's telling us his story of being a professional skateboarder, reaching a point in life where he was just burnt out, longing for something more, uh, rededicates his life to the Lord, gives his life to Jesus. Uh, I meet him in Bible college. So you had been out of the scene for what, about a year and a half or so by the time you went to Bible college? Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty much just had kind of knew that I had to do um, what Jay Adams refers to in his counseling manuals as, as a radical amputation of a lot of things. Basically the whole action sports scene and a lot of my old friends and various localities, you know. So, yeah, it was good. And so now talking about the upside, it was just amazing to be able to go to CC uh, San Jose, move into that dorm and the Bible college, as much of a bubble as it is, man, it's a great safe haven. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, yeah. and as much as I was really just kind of grinding my knuckles out there with a lot of anxiety and, and stuff, uh, yeah, just being immersed in the Word 24-7, it, it, it's what I needed, you know. From Calvary Chapel Bible College, you actually took your your Christian education to a, another level. Um, I, I always knew that you had a draw towards apologetics and specifically evangelism, and I think that really ties into a lot of um, of your history and, and upbringing and, and just the, the entertainment bent to your personality. Uh, but you ended up connecting with Norman Geisler. Can you tell us a little bit about about that experience? Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I remember Matt Valencia, even before I went to CCBC, he was like, yeah, Norm Geisler has this seminary, you know, and I was like, what? Because I, I was basically a high school, uh, well, I took a, a California high school proficiency examination, so I'm not technically a dropout, but I was essentially like a dropout. Um, and, you know, Matt Valencia is telling me about this graduate school, and all I have is a high school proficiency at this time before I even went on to Bible college. And then, yeah, so fast forward, I had uh, experienced Norm's uh, materials at the school, and Joe Holden, which was who is, was one of his uh, key disciples, was there teaching as well. And after talking to Joe Holden, he's like, yeah, you should try to go to Southern Evangelical Seminary. You know? And I was like, yeah, I should. And, and so, I, I, long story, I wound up being able, I wound up getting like a bachelor uh, from another, so I did the associates at CCBC, a bachelor somewhere else, and it was enough to get me into the grad program at Southern. And so I moved to North Carolina, and that's when Geisler was like the on-campus president of the school, like he had the main office, and he was there pretty regularly, other than when he wasn't out of town, you know, speaking or something. He was there in the office and just teaching and interacting with us. And yeah, that was like, that was awesome. That was also a challenging time, but um, as far as school and getting some education. Uh, SES is still a fantastic school. And yeah, that's where I started getting into philosophy a little bit as well. I'm going to back up one step to just move the ball forward. Um, when I was with you in Bible college, um, again, my, my context is I grew up in Georgia, Southerner, not to say that there aren't skaters, but uh, during my upbringing, um, skating was very much um, that far end of the lunchroom table, so to speak. 
uh, was not mainstream where, where I'm from. So I've never skated. Uh, went to Southern California, went to Bible College. There's tons of skaters. Still, I'd never get on a skateboard. I, got, I can barely walk, get alone, try to have four wheels under me. And everyone would talk about Simon Woodstock, this professional skater that was there on campus. And, and, and all the guys would try to get you to go and, and skateboard with them, but you, you would always refuse. You, you would have nothing to do with it. And you kind of articulated that a little earlier, just this radical amputation. You had to just separate from this old life um, and focus on Jesus. Um, but that didn't last forever. Um, at some point, you decide to get back on a skateboard. Can you talk about that moment? Um, well, let's see. It's a, there's a lot uh, going on there. Um, let's see. Uh, it's initially what you're talking about is just, it's a very challenging thing uh, for me. Uh, kind of no matter where I go, <laughs> the the cat kind of gets out of the bag. And, <laughs> it, you know, it's like, it can just be sort of overwhelming. You know, it's all of a sudden, every, that's everything that everybody wants to talk about and stuff. And it, it's, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I just, I don't go lock myself <laughs> like in a room, you know, like, like God has, has taken me a long way to where it's like, eh, if somebody wants to strike up the conversation, uh, that's fine. But it can be overwhelming. And then it can be like super redundant too, like just answering the same 20 questions. Uh, now this interview is going like a lot of cool directions and stuff like that, but it's usually people just asking me the same 20 sort of mundane questions and stuff. So I, I just, yeah. I really have to be like prayed up and then, and my wife can see. She knows I'm kind of having a semi-anxiety attack while I'm politely answering questions. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so uh, th- that's kind of how I hate to let the cat out of the bag. Like, as much as I want to seem like this really spiritual guy who made this penny suit movie that won uh, the best gospel presentation award at the Christian Worldview Film Festival, mostly because of Jeremy Wilson's editing and stuff. As much as I want to give you a story about how I had some vision out on the beach, you know, of multitudes being saved by this thing, it was more just out of practicality. When people start off with the questions, I just give them a flyer and I go, hey, just go watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and then here, you know, here's another flyer. Give it to your friend and here's a van sticker. And um, yeah, I got to, I got to (laughs) go. So that's out of just a, a practicality um, that is how that movie came about. But it, it, it's fine, man. It, I got a, out of the documentaries that I've made that that's just got the best feedback, you know, especially when it first came out, I was getting messages where people were like, and these are like unbelievers going, Hey, that, that movie really moved me. That, that movie really got me to think about things and stuff. You know, so. let me give a little, a rundown because we're, we're getting a little, a little far ahead. So you end up just according to this documentary, um, you end up getting back on a skateboard and you were using the opportunity to go to skate parks to just share the gospel and to minister to people, put your faith into action, um, which I've always known you. I mean, that's always been part of your personality as long as I've known you. But going back to the old days, you had this idea of bringing back the penny suit, not to bring attention to yourself, but it's kind of a, an evangelical tool um, to gather a crowd to then be able to tell the gospel. Am I, am I surmising this correctly? Yeah, no, that's right. And that was, that's a very good thing that came about. So I was able to, uh, I, I still have to be careful when I do stuff like that. Uh, even recently something went down where my wife was like, okay, how did that glorify the Lord? Right? 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I, I still have to be like really careful. But um, in in spite of any of my weaknesses or my propensities to do dumb things, uh, if I'm out there and I have that thing on, pe- people will come up and and talk to me, and that's really. 80% of the battle in evangelism is breaking the ice and starting the conversation. So, you know, it could be a penny suit, it could be a 64 Impala, a lowrider bike, a, a, a parrot on your shoulder, like whatever. It's just a thing where, where people might come up and talk to you and then that the ice is already broken. If they're asking you questions, especially if you've done some art or something and they're asking mm-hmm. you uh, they're opening themselves up for you to talk to them, you know, and that's like, that's really huge when it comes to evangelism or sharing the gospel or encouraging people who are already believers or whatever. You know? I uh, I tweeted out the link to the video and I sent it out on Facebook and I had a guy reach out uh, that you don't know, just a total third party that was like, I saw that guy in Southern California in Temecula. And I was like, yep, that's the guy. And uh, what's neat about the documentary, it's, it's, as you already mentioned, the editing is beautiful. I mean, it's the, the way it's crafted, the way the story's told, the animation to it. Um, it's about 20 minutes long, and it's, and it's, it's deserving of the awards that it's won. Um, but, but what I thought was really neat is so um, you use the penny suit um, as, like you said, an evangelical, it's an icebreaker. It's just you're trying to have a conversation with, with strangers about Jesus, and this breaks the ice. And, and the door opens. But you also have a lot of really interesting kind of stats and figures correlating the penny to certain spiritual and biblical concepts. Can you uh, give us a few examples of that? Yeah, no, so it's sort of like this reverse Socratic method. The Socratic method is when one person's asking another person questions to draw things out. So it's sort of a, a one step further insofar as the people are asking me questions, but I know the questions they're going to ask me. And then I just have some kind of sort of pre uh, fabricated for lack of a better term, um, a pre-scripted, that's probably a better term answers or responses to give. So, you know, and, and people now there, I don't mind people asking me the same 10 questions because I know they're coming and they're not on me. They're about a suit or some art, you know, and they'll say, well, how heavy is it? And I say, oh, nothing in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, how how much time did that take? Well, nothing in comparison to eternity, you know. Uh, you're, you're dead a lot longer than you're alive, you know. And uh, there are some, yeah, in the, on the penny it says, in God we trust. I just say, hey, do you trust God? And they, or, or somebody will say something sort of smart-alecky, you know, and I'll say, oh, hey, I'll give you my two cents worth or whatever. And, and it's just a good uh, way to really uh, chop it up and I've noticed that, you know, if I draw a little crowd, even when I get kind of preachy, you know, because it's sort of based off the, the art and the penny and the suit and the bike and the board and all that, that, that people will kind of hang out. They'll, they'll, they'll hear me out, you know, so that makes it worthwhile as well because that thing's like super heavy to wear and <laughs> copper uh, can, is, is heat conductive. <laughs> so if I'm outside, I'm literally baking, you know, but, but it just kind of makes it worth it. Um, and yeah, I get into some great conversations and I, I, I've seen people even, you know, make a decision for Christ or, or at least light bulbs kind of going off in their head or whatever that they're thinking about it, you know. What was the motivation behind, uh, the documentary itself? Like, how did that come to be? Yeah. So I, I kind of told you, like, it, it was like, I, I wanted to do something or a few things. Well, let, let me 
the internet was this whole, you know, I was fine just having my skateboard career be this pile of magazines that nobody would ever see, right? And then, and then the, the internet comes, right? So a lot of, like, negative stuff from my past was coming up, you know? And when I was getting into ministry, you know, people start Google searching and they're like, ugh, you know? So I was like, oh, I, I need to do documentaries, do testimonials, do some teachings or whatever, and start kind of semi-flooding the internet with, you know, biblically-based, spiritually-based material to the point where it overrides any of, like, the negative older stuff, you know, me just doing stupid junk stuff that somehow got scanned and put on the internet, you know. So so that was, again, it's sort of pragmatic or practical, but that that was kind of it. So the Penny Suit movie is, is part of a an overall, and, and yeah, if you just sort of Google search or YouTube search my name, there's, you know, maybe 20 videos that come up, and I think we're up to, you know, 15, 17 of them being being sort of spiritually based or Christian based out of maybe the 25 that come up, you know, so that, that, and that took a lot of work, you know, um, right. but I yeah, that was sort of the motivation. So if somebody searches my name, odds are they're going to catch wind of one of those documentaries or testimonials or something. What's the deeper motivation to that? Because it's, it's not as superficial as, oh, well, I just don't want people to only associate me for the dumb stuff I've done. Uh, but there's a, there's a, a serious component where, and you get this in the movie. I mean, I, when you watch the movie, the film, um, it doesn't it doesn't strike you as oh, this is a guy trying to rewrite the narrative of his online profile. Uh, there's a very evangelical um, uh, manifestation behind it. Um, so beyond just crafting a narrative, I mean, just knowing you as like I do, it's 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 also like I'm not that guy anymore. Um, I'm this new creation in Christ Jesus. I have a, I, my testimony is, it's almost like if, if only the apostle Paul's junk was online <laughs> and nothing else was written about him. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. So that's, I, that, I've never really thought of it like that way. So just imagine if you Googled the apostle Paul and it just showed up being a Pharisee, like killing Christians <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, yeah, so he needed to get busy and write some epistles. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's kind of like that. No, you're right. So, um, I, this is sort of twofold. Uh, you're right. I care as a as a biblical Christian. The Bible calls all Christians to, you know, share the gospel to, uh, in word and deed, and to reach out to people to be others centered rather than self centered and stuff like that. And I have been trained in you know evangelism and apologetics and stuff. So that's certainly there. That's that's the the premise or the modus of what we're doing there in the Penny Suit movie. But, again, I just kind of have to stop short because it's a Willstock production, uh, Jeremy Wilson and then my last name, Woodstock. So if I would have been running the edit, editing of that video, it would have had, like, August Burns Red in there, you know, and, and, and yeah. like, all, all this other stuff, right? So Jeremy, he, the fact that that movie's like, really emotional and stuff and is, is moving – Okay, maybe that comes out of some of the content I was putting there, but that's the 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 Wilson of the Willstock production. He he spent a lot of hours, and that's just kind of where he was at. He was the main audio video video guy at CCBC, so you'll kind of pick up on that sort of CCBC style music and flow. We even recorded some stuff in one of the apologetics classes and stuff. 
and and so the the fact that it's moving and I think really the, the ultimately the fact that it was able to get that award and whatnot a lot of that has to do with Jeremy Wilson from Tent Media and and what he can do. Um, he he took sort of a pile of a bunch of uh, footage and put it together that way, and it and it worked out really good. And as the collaboration went, you know, we have about three and a half minutes left, and I want to leave you with plenty of plenty of time um, to talk to. You know, one of the interesting things about radio as a medium is you have no idea who's listening, and I want to give you three minutes here to just speak through the void. Um, to that 13 or 14 year old kid that is thinking the world has what I need. And from your own experiences, can, can you just speak through the void and, and tell that individual about Jesus? Yeah, no, thank you for that. And just, you know, I've heard this before. I think it's Robbie Zacharias popularizes the, the, the saying, you know, but it's pointed out that, you know, the most tragic thing that somebody can experience is to, to, to think, have a thought of something that's going to give them ultimate fulfillment and ultimate happiness, et cetera, et cetera, to go through a series of years or decades or an entire life to try to attain it, and then you get it, and it's totally unfulfilling. It's totally unsatisfying. It doesn't like provide you with what you thought it was going to. It's a very, very, very tragic situation. And that's basically what can happen with these worldly pursuits. If you don't know God, it's okay to, you know, be good at music or be an actor or an artist or whatever. Like, I would never say that that's not good. But if you're just doing it for yourself or you think the accolades that come with that are going to give you the ultimate fulfillment or being popular or being the best sports person or being the best lawyer or doctor or whatever, uh, apart from Christ, it's going to leave the pursuer unfulfilled. And so that's what I would just say is just take care of business with God. Like admit that you sin, you know, confess it to God. Realize that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that by trusting in him for salvation, you'll have everlasting life. And believing that he rose from the dead, a miraculous act, proving that all that he said and did was true and valid and right and just and moral. And it, it's just it's just the way to go. It, it, it's totally... Uh, the only thing I regret about becoming a Christian is that I didn't do it sooner. Mm. And I would have liked to have... I had an opportunity to come to faith like in 1992 for real, and I blew it off, and that was another kind of dummy dum dumb thing I did. I, I wish I would have just got right then. I didn't... Ex- from 1992 to 2000, in those eight years, I didn't experience anything you know, that I was better, you know, I should have just got right earlier. So the, the sooner the better, just uh, come before God, cry out, confess, uh, repent, trust Christ for salvation, get a Bible, get plugged into fellowship, a good Bible teaching church, and it's the way to go, man. It's the way to go. Simon, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. All right, brother. I'll tell you, that was really a treat to have Simon on the radio show. What a blessing. He took the time out of his busy day. Uh, Simon, when you listen to this, man, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story. And it really is this, uh, I think, great uh, illustration of the lure of the world, but how what the world promises it never really follows through with. 
it, it promises pleasure, it promises satisfaction, it promises meaning, it'll promise love and joy. All these things, at best, it gives a cheap imitation when Jesus wants to provide you the real thing. As mentioned, it's important to us to hear from you, the listening audience, if Simon's story uh, strikes a chord with you. Uh, please reach out. Let us know how it impacted you, uh, how it blessed you, how it encouraged you. Also, would like to just tell you to take a moment and go online, Google Simon Woodstock, uh, pass up <laughs> anything that might be negative from his past. Look at uh, how the Lord's using his life today. And specifically, I just want to encourage you to, to, to look for the video about the penny suit. You'll be blessed. Trust me. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. If you like what you heard, I want to encourage you to do two things, two important things. First, reach out to your local Christian radio station and thank them that they're carrying programming like the Outlaw Radio Show uh, in your community. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to visit our website. Again, our website is outlawradio.org. As mentioned at the very beginning of the show, from the site, you can easily access our podcast. Our podcast is available, iTunes, Google Play. You can listen to this episode in its entirety, or you can go back into the archive and listen to all previous episodes. We do want to connect with you. Twitter at Radio underscore Outlaw. You can always send me an email. If that's the easiest way. Info at OutlawRadio.org. Or you can follow us via Facebook.com slash The Radio Outlaw. Once again, my name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church outside of Athens, Georgia. I hope you join me again this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.